Well, hello and welcome to the Edgewood 4G podcast. My name is Kyle Parks. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Edgewood. And uh, excited for today, I have Jared Hall with us. Jared is a pastor, Bible teacher, coach, a lot of things. I wear a lot of different hats. Yeah, (laughs) it's true. Yeah, man. Uh, So we're excited to have Jared on because uh, we're going to talk about a lot of different things, um, but especially what's going on around the world and in the Middle East. And uh, Jared has taken a lot of trips over there, studied over there, just done a lot of different things. And um, and uh, yeah, y'all took some trips with Ed last couple of years. Yeah, Pastor Ed and uh, several members of Edgewood Baptist Church. We traveled mm-hmm. to Israel in May of 2022 and again in 2023. Yeah. So pretty cool stuff. Um, so uh, we're excited to have Jared here. And so Jared, start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself, get us a little background info on yourself and your connection with your work with Moody and all that. Maybe a little about your family as well. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in the Quad Cities. I'm a Moody Bible Institute alum, uh, both undergrad and grad school. Uh, pastored for ten years in the Quad Cities, and then. I had someone who worked at Moody, Carl Knudsen, reach out to me and say, hey, would you like to come work at Moody? Because I want to retire. And so it'd be great if you could come take over. And uh, that was kind of an unforeseen move for us. And Uh so we moved into that world. And then I've been at Moody for almost six years now. And what I do at Moody, uh, my primary role is a stewardship representative, which means I travel around the Midwest meeting with our ministry partners and with our alumni. And then in the last year or so, my leadership coaching has increased a lot at Moody. So I'm a certified leadership coach through the John Maxwell team. I've uh, been doing that for about six years with different organizations. But at Moody, I've been uh, launching a leadership coaching program for our alumni. So all uh, the goal is that eventually any alumni at Moody uh, from Moody who would like to receive leadership coaching will be able to get that for free. So I'm training different people to do leadership coaching now okay. for Moody. And then I've been doing uh, what's called a working genius. Uh, so I'm certified facilitator f- through the table group, Patrick Lencioni's organization. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I've been doing that. I did that with um, several branches of Moody, different departments. And um, and so that's been expanding. Okay. And uh, I coach pastors, coach churches, coach churches through transition. Uh, I do pulpit fill on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. And um, I serve on the nation's oldest uh, mission organization, Reaching Jewish People with the Gospel, Life and Messiah, that Edgewood okay. did the yep. Prophecy Conference with. Mm-hmm. Um, was that about a year ago now, a little over a yep. year ago? Yeah. And uh, so I'm a chairman of the board now for that. And Very then, good. Uh, most recently, I became a professor. I'm an online professor for hermeneutics at Moody. So Nice, yeah. man. And then in my free time, I coach basketball out at Riverdale in Port Byron, Illinois. So, okay. Uh, my Is wife, that it? I don't know, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's actually gotten increasingly harder <laughs> to keep track of it. I just kind of do it, and then it's best not to think about it. There so, you go. Uh, I give tours to the Oriental Institute, what's now is the Institute yep. Studies of Ancient Cultures. Uh, that's at the University of Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's the world of the Old Testament right there in Chicago. All kinds of cool artifacts. Uh, some folks from Edgewood have been there with me before. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife, Melissa, and I, uh, we've been... Married for 16 years. Uh, Missy and the boys, they attend Edgewood on Sunday mornings. We have three boys, Blaze, Hudson, and Steele. 
and uh, they're all part of Quad City Christian and Moline, along with uh, along with your boys. Yeah, yeah, they're and, friends in, uh, in class, which is cool. Yeah, so and I'm pumped that you're going to be coaching my son in basketball. Yeah, so, that's the yeah. word on the street, man. We're gonna we're gonna be on the same team. I'm excited about that. It's gonna be great. It's much better that you're coaching than me coaching. <laughs> yeah, you're like yeah. the older kids to to coach. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um. Absolutely. Coach. I've I've coached as young as fifth grade. Okay. That was one time. So Okay. That's maybe it. next couple of years you can coach your son. I'm more than happy to <laughs> help you. Will you be my assistant? I will not be your assistant, oh, but I will help yeah. you if you need any help in terms of layout practices. Okay. So I've been I've been coaching for about twenty years. Uh so I'm you know It sounds good, man. I have a perspective on of how to have how to do it but just finished my boys season undefeated two seasons in a row now of undefeated teams so nice. yeah pretty exciting you're on so. a roll all right man well my first question is how does one get into uh, leading trips to israel in the different places in the middle east how did you get into that um so long story and um when i was at moody it was really my first time being exposed to people who traveled to Israel regularly. Mm-hmm. Like I knew people who'd been to Israel, but I wasn't in a circle of people that regularly went to Israel. And it was during that time where it was like, since the Lord really calling me to, to go to Israel. And so when mm-hmm. Missy and I were engaged, I said, you know, by being engaged to me and to get married, that means that you're committing to travel to Israel. She's like, oh yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> you know, maybe someday we might go to Israel. I go, no, no. So I said, I said, we're absolutely going to Israel. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, well, yeah, but how? And I said, that's for God to figure out. Like, mm-hmm. that's not for us to figure out. You just got to understand that when the door opens, you got to be willing to go. And within less Within two years of being married, we were in Israel for the first time. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so we had a friend who uh, gave us free plane tickets. And okay. so we traveled there on our own, uh, road tripped around the country. And uh, I had several friends in the country. Amazing time. Yeah. Uh, I could go into more detail, but I'll stop there. And then uh, a year later, the same opportunity came up where someone gave me a free ticket. The same person actually gave me a, same, a free ticket to Israel again. So I went back and I was traveling around with my friend, Tim. And while I was there, probably third day, I was like, people need to be here Mm -hmm. because the way that you read your Bible is different. Yes. And so it kind of, the Lord lay, I was laying in a bed in a youth hostel in Jerusalem. I very distinctly remember the moment where it's just like, yeah, I need to bring people here and I need to, I need to find a way to do that. And so uh, fast forward five years later, I started putting together trips and kind of learn the ropes of how the tour industry works. And, and that's how I got started. So very cool. Yeah. I definitely highly recommend what you said, get someone else to pay for, you know, the plane tickets over there. If you can, <laughs> man, you know, it was just one of those things where, um, the guy had worked for a company and he had to fly everywhere in the country and yeah. he racked up all these miles and they were all mm-hmm. about to expire. And he was like, they're either going to expire. Or they're going to get used. So use yep. them. And I could have, and I could have gone anywhere in the world. Okay. But, you know, there's no other place to be but Israel. So, and actually I got, I got interviewed by the lead journalist for the Toronto Star on my second time there. Okay. Because we were, we bumped into each other on a tour of the hotel, the Western Wall Tunnels. And he was like, wait, you could have had, you could have gone anywhere in the world twice and you came here both times. (laughs) He's like, I got to interview you. And so my friend Tim and I, we were the lead piece in his uh, his article on israel okay so very good yeah i had the chance to go in 2010 
uh, right after my wife and I got married and my in-laws paid for us to go. So oh, of course, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the way right. to go. I uh-huh. highly recommend it. Yes. Uh, but yeah, we went over there. We got to go kind of on a longer tour. It was almost three weeks. We went that's to beautiful. Israel, Jordan, and Egypt. Oh, sure. Yeah. 2010. Yeah. yeah. They, the, once you have the Arab spring mm-hmm. in 2011, you really don't see as many mm. three country trips anymore. Like mm-hmm. you'll see Israel and okay. Jordan, but you don't see that Egypt piece as much. Yep. Egypt's been in the news a lot mm. for not being very friendly towards tourists. Yeah. Like people okay. getting arrested for just setting up cameras to do like, mm. like uh, vlogging and stuff oh, wow. like that. Okay. Yeah. So they've caught a lot of heat. So that's cool that you got to. to yeah. Go to and I would just. I've always recommended it. I've always used it in my teaching. Just, it, yeah, it blew me away. It wasn't like a place that was necessarily on my bucket list. But once I went, I was like, oh, yeah, everybody needs to go here. Every believer needs to go here. It does open your eyes to, you know, the Bible when you read it. You're able to actually see the places, visualize them in your mind now once you've been there and you read them. And, you know, when they're unearthing things all the time, it's just, it's pretty, pretty incredible. So, um, yeah, I'm thrilled that we've had. Quite a few of our college students been able to go the last couple of years yeah, through really, some scholarships yeah. Uh, yeah, for cool. those trips that you and Ed went on. So, very good, man. Well, yeah, so what I want to kind of talk about is just, you know, what's going on over there, but also uh, a little bit of history there. You know, why is um, this such an important land uh, mass in that area? Um, just, it's such a small country, right? Right. But yeah. it's been disputed for forever, <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so maybe just a, a little bit of a brief history there. And why is it such an important piece of land to so many people? Obviously, we see that in scripture, but also the Palestinians and, and other groups there. Um, yeah, what's going on over there too? And we'll get into that a little bit more, but why is it such an important piece? Yeah, so if we look at a historical background, even going back into 3,000 years ago, mm-hmm. Israel is a land bridge. Yeah. So uh, if you go west of Israel, you're in the Mediterranean Sea. If you go east of Israel, you're in a desert. And so for ancient Near Eastern superpowers like Egypt and Assyria or Babylonias, uh, in order to control trade, you really needed Israel because the mm-hmm. two major trade routes that was connecting uh, Asia and Africa and Europe was running through Israel. And so that's why you see so many different places fighting over Israel is yeah. really for control of the trade route. Uh, because if you control the trade, you control finance, you control finance, you control power, so on and so forth. The world is complicated, but in some areas it reduces down to, you know, fairly simple things. And in all of the places that the Lord could have chosen to give Abraham, that's where he chose mm-hmm. to give Abraham. We see in Genesis 12 and, and following in his covenant, in his land covenant he made with uh, Abraham, an everlasting covenant that he made with Abraham, uh, an unconditional everlasting covenant that he made with Abraham. And then, you know, when you get to uh, Israel, Israel People talk about Israel being secular today. If you read the Bible carefully, you're going to see that Israel has always had worship problems, sure. just like everyone <laughs> has had worship problems. Yeah. And so you don't really see time periods where Israel is actually really humming along very mm-hmm. well, according to how the Torah instructs them to live. Um, hence why King Josiah is implementing the Passover and they haven't celebrated it since the Exodus, it says, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like... None of, them, none of them was crushing it at making sure that everyone was engaging in proper worship. Right. So 
Israel breaks apart, uh, Assyria attacks the north, north gets taken over, eventually the Babylonians capture the south, uh, and then Persia sends them back. But Israel is not controlled by Israel. It's under Persia when the Old Testament closes. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the time period in between the Old Testament and New Testament, and the Greeks take control of Israel. And actually, the reason why we celebrate Hanukkah is the uh, is connected to Israel becoming a um, country once again. So it's the first time Israel is united okay. in the second century BC since King Solomon, right? So like 800 years mm -hmm. goes by. And then that period only lasts for about 100 years. It's never controlled very well. It's never governed very well by the Hasmoneans, which is a Jewish family name. And then the Romans come in and conquer Israel. And the Romans conquer Israel for the same reason that the Syrians and the Babylonians and the Persians did to control trade. Same mm -hmm. reason why the Greeks did to control yeah. trade. So when Rome comes in, that's when the New Testament opens up. And what we don't see in the New Testament after the New Testament closes is that uh, there's two Jewish revolts that happen. The first one happens in 70 AD. This is the most famous one. Mm -hmm. This is when the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed. It's when the events on Masada takes place. But there's another Jewish revolt that's lesser known, but had longer implications. And that's the Bar Koba revolt that happened in the second century AD. Okay. And what happens there is, is that Rome is so frustrated with Jews in Israel that they rename Jerusalem Elia Capitolina. And then they rename the whole region. Instead of being called Israel, they call it Philistinia which is named after the Philistines mm -hmm. from the Old Testament right. who haven't been in the land for 700 years. And so the idea was, is we're going to try to erase any history of the Jewish people being here. Yeah. So where the temple was, there goes a Roman cult center, a temple. Uh, where Jesus was crucified, we're going to put up a Roman cult center. Where Jesus was born in Bethlehem, we're going to put up a Roman cult center, mm -hmm. right? Now, history moves on, and you have um, Constantine's mother coming back. Christianity becomes legal in the Roman Empire. Right. You have churches being built. But it continues to be a fought-over area because, again, it has resources of its land bridge. And so you see it trade hands multiple times throughout the last 2,000 years. But one thing is true. Israel was never a country again. And that doesn't mean that Phil like it was Palestine was never a country. Mm -hmm. It was never self-governed. It was always just a territory. It was always governed outside of Israel mm. once you get outside of the first century AD. And so when we get to the 1800s, you have the Ottomans, which is the Turks, uh, mm -hmm. Turkey in control of the land called Palestine. Palestine is derived from Philistinia. That's where the name comes from. And it's a mixed bag of, of, of Arab people. So there were 60 different languages being spoke in the 1800s. There was no people group that is the Palestinians. It mm -hmm. doesn't exist. There's some Jews living there, but there is this idea starting to birth around the world that Jewish people need a homeland. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is that Jewish people were persecuted everywhere they went. Right. And so whether you're in Russia or France or anywhere else, Jewish people were persecuted. So like, we got to get a homeland. So what they started doing was, is they started purchasing land in Palestine from the Ottomans. 
And so they purchased land, they came in, they worked the land, they lived the land, and that's the beginning of really a, what's called the Aliyah, the, the return to the land. And over, we get into the 20th century, Israel, um, Palestine, comes under British rule after World War I. The Brits take control of it from the Ottomans. And then the movement to create an official Jewish state is really full throttle at that point. Okay. And then by the time you finish World War II, you have the Holocaust, the worst atrocity in human history. Um, the, the word genocide didn't exist before the Holocaust. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. We, they had to invent a word to describe the level of massacre mm-hmm. that took place there. And then Israel is created by the Jewish people living there as a result of England, the uh, United Kingdom, with the blessing of the United Nations, saying we're going to do a two-state solution. So there was Israel, and there wasn't Palestine. There was Jordanians and there were Syrians, but mm-hmm. there's like, we're just going to divide this country up. Israel, a little, little slice of land. Mm-hmm. And the day that they announced that they were going to be a country, there was war announced upon them. And so fast forward to today, Israel won the war. They've won almost every war and they have control of the area of land that they've won mm-hmm. because other people declared war on them. Um, I'm not sure how much more history you want to get into, but if we... it's fascinating, man, I love history. This is yeah. this is good stuff, and I hope everybody else is enjoying it as much as I am. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? If you come to Israel with me, you get a you get a crash course in this Israel, there so we can go. we can even slow down a little bit and show oh, some right, maps right. too. Uh, I know I'm throwing a lot out. So when you get to um, the birth of Israel or the rebirth of Israel, uh, what you have is um, you have an organization. Uh, called the Palestinian Liberation Organization uh, that wants to uh, eliminate all Jewish people from the face of the earth, mm-hmm. uh, led by uh, Asser Arafat. And uh, they committed atrocities against Israelis all over the world. In the um, 1974 Munich Olympics, there mm-hmm. was yeah. Israelis who were uh, captured mm-hmm. and, and killed by this organization. Fast forward to uh, the early 90s, uh, they've become an, uh, a country of sorts. Yep. Israel makes a land deal with them to basically say like, we'll give you the West Bank and we'll mm-hmm. give you the Gaza Strip if we can have peace. But this is what peace looks like. And, uh, and they agree to it and Israel upholds their end and they give this portions of land away to try to make peace. It had worked with Egypt in 78 or 79 when they gave the Sinai Peninsula back to Egypt. And so Mm -hmm. they've had this long-standing treaty uh, with Egypt because they gave them land. So like maybe if we give the Palestinians land, uh, if we give this terrorist organization land, it'll be okay. And essentially it hasn't, it hasn't worked, you know, it hasn't worked. And uh, where we stand at today. So Palestine is, um, is, broken into two sections of land. And so if you can imagine, uh, the Gaza Strip is butted up against the Mediterranean Sea Mm -hmm. on the western side of Israel, a small strip of land. And then the West Bank takes up a larger portion of land that kind of bubbles out along the Jordan River on the east side of Israel. And that's where the majority of, of cities are, like Bethlehem and Ramallah. Now, West Bank is really controlled by the Palestinian government, 
However, the Gaza Strip is not really controlled by the Palestinian government. It's really controlled by another terrorist organization called Hamas, which right. was created in about 87. And Hamas's sole intent is for the elimination of all Jewish people from the world. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about freedom fighters. We're not talking about people wanting land back. We're talking about people who are dedicated to the eradication of an entire people group. Right. And... Um, and so there's an extreme hatred there. And so what Hamas does is that they take all of the funding that um, the Palestinians receive and they dedicate it towards the destruction of Israel. Mm-hmm. So when uh, countries like the United States sends aid, the West Bank gets some and, and there's some signs of development in the Palestinian, sure, yeah. in the West Bank area. You know, I've traveled in the West Bank a lot, been okay. to a lot of the cities, never been to the Gaza. Nobody goes into the Gaza Strip. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gaza Strip, on the other hand, with Hamas running it, they take their water pipes and they turn them into rockets and mm-hmm. they fire rockets from places like hospitals and schools. And uh, the reason being is that they want to be able to use women and children as human shields. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Israel has returned rocket fire, they drop leaflets and they do things to warn people with lots of notice. They say exactly when bombing is going to occur. Um, but Israel has to retaliate at some point when their people are being terrorized. Sure. So what we, you know, come to modern times so right now, we're in the middle of a war between Israel and Gaza. Uh, October 7th, you had the um, worst attack on Israel's soil uh, with Hamas, um, using a mean, several means, so they, they broke through the fence, they had Paris sailors, uh, uh, hang gliders, they had uh, boats that came and attacked, and they went into cities and they murdered innocent civilians, uh, they raped women, uh, they murdered babies, and then they took about 240 people mm-hmm. um, captive back into the uh, Gaza Strip. Listening, uh, about 1,400 people were killed. It's yep. the most Jewish yeah. people killed in a single act since the Holocaust. Yeah. Um, and so while there's been other attacks that have happened, this is at a level that's that's nearly unprecedented, uh, seemingly funded by uh, Iran and uh, orchestrated over about a two-year period of time. And so since October 7th, we've been in this war. We had a slight truce in the month mm-hmm. of November and um, and that ceasefire held for about six days. We had about 80 to 100 uh, people who were captured, released, hostages released um, in exchange for uh, God, uh, Hamas prisoners from Israeli jails. And now we're in a war continuing on. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, we're, we're living in a day and age where, you know, we have video footage and evidences of these atrocities and stuff like that. And but there's also uh, so much misinformation, you oh, know, yeah. just in yeah. our in yeah. our world today with so yep. many things, and and so much is getting thrown out there. Um, so I guess help us with this, Jared. Like, how are we as believers um, to kind of view the things going on over there right now? Like, just through a biblical worldview lens. Like, how are we supposed to um, just kind of see the things that are, that are going on, and and how are we supposed to? think uh, well through it, but also respond if there's uh, something that we should be doing or just the way we talk about it with other people and helping them understand the truth of what's happening. Yeah, I think there's a few different things I'd recommend. I think one is, is that in terms of news sources, it's important to listen and read widely. Yes. And, um, (laughs) 
I think if the pandemic taught us nothing else, if the 2016 to 2020 elections taught us nothing, like you need a variety of yes, news sources. Absolutely. And the upside is, is that, you know, because there are so many different places that we can get news that if you're willing to sort through it, there is good things out there. The hard thing is most people just want to turn and turn on one thing mm -hmm. and get everything there. Yeah. And that's much harder to do. Um, Second, I would say that it's important to pray for Israel. It's important to pray. I have a lot of friends whose kids got called up mm, into reserves sure. and are serving right now. Uh, I have friends who have people, uh, loved ones who were killed, uh, who have hostages. And so it's very real. It's very pressing. And I think it's, it's easy to say uh, Israel should lighten up on the attacks, but... I don't understand. I mean, we had Americans who were hostages. Yep. Yeah, that's true. So I, I just don't understand. If your child was kidnapped, how would you want the American government to respond? Mm -hmm. And I think you'd want I think you'd want your government to go in and, and get your child. Yeah. I think that's what you'd want. So I think it's it's important to make sure that we're we're in the other people's shoes. Now, do you want? I think we need to pray for Palestinians. I think Palestinians need to be able to uh, have the uh, the backbone to say no to terror right and to and to not tolerate Hamas anymore and um, and it's I think we've seen this throughout world history and and we see it still to today but we see certain governments uh, that terrorize their people and the people uh, allow it to happen mm -hmm. to them and I think we need to, to pray for uh, the Palestinians to no longer tolerate that yeah. from from Hamas and for them to be able to experience uh, true democracy and sure, so forth absolutely you know so one of the things that gets you know talked about is um, you know Israel's occupying someone else's land well Israel purchased land you know that's what they did the land they were taking was purchased and then the land that they got from there was earned through war. And mm. it's not a war that they started. It's a war that was brought upon them. Mm. And, um, and what they said to every Arab living in Israel, you can stay here and live in peace or you can choose to fight. And the Arabs who have stayed there have led fantastic lives. There's very large Arab cities in Israel and they experience great prosperity mm. and they are free to worship. And they are free to go about their lives. Mm -hmm. There's Arabs serving in the Israeli military. There are Arabs who serve in the Israeli government. There are Arab judges. It is not an apartheid state. Okay. That is so far from the truth. If yeah. it's an apartheid state, it's the worst apartheid state that's ever existed. <laughs> like they don't know anything about being an apartheid state okay. if it's that. And so the people living in Gaza you know, they live in Gaza because they chose to be, you know, in Gaza because they wanted that. And there are Arabs who live in Nazareth, for example, uh, multi-generations who have great freedom mm -hmm. and and make a great living and their children have great education. And you're not going to find a better education system for Arabs really throughout the Middle East. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of intentionality that Israel has gone into to take care of their Arab citizens. And that's usually completely overlooked or ignored. So, yeah. Yeah. Also, you know, as we think through um, just how to pray for Israel, how to pray for Palestinian Christians, um, you know, we see in scripture in the Psalms, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Yes. Um, what, what other ways uh, can and should we be praying 
or is there anything else we should be doing? Is there anything we can do as believers, um, praying, of course, but is there anything else we should be uh, doing in the midst of everything going on over there? Well, this is going to sound crazy, but I, I think that one of the one of the best ways to support Israel is by traveling to Israel. Mm. That um, the the tactics, and this is a full on war, but typically the tactics of Hamas is to is to fire rockets in May to try to get tourism down, so that way Israel has less money, so that way they can cripple Israel. And so when you choose to travel to Israel, you bolster the economy. When you bolster Israel's economy, you are providing them with the means to fight terrorism. I mean, visiting Israel is one of the most practical ways that everyday people can fight terrorism. Okay. But when you choose not to go because you're scared, then you're you're creating the opportunity for terror to continue. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Good. A lot of things to think through uh, there with. And um, well, I'm excited, Jared, because... Um, we're going to have Jared on for a part two, and we're going to try to get into a little bit about uh, future events, um, talking about even maybe getting stuff and end times, revelation type stuff. Is there anything happening over there right now that's pointing more towards this? And and so we're going to get into that next time, but thanks so much, uh, Jared, for joining us uh, for this episode, um, but tune in uh, next time. And um, we'll be able to, you guys will be able to hear part two of this uh, discussion as we continue this conversation. Uh, but thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, as always, uh, you can leave us a rating and review. Just help keep this podcast out there. Share it with your friends. Uh, share it on your social media. And uh, we can continue to help people grow um, in this way uh, with this 4G podcast. But thanks so much, and we will see you next time. <laughs>